Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another episode of our summer edition of Limited Upside. We're going to go on through all the teams. We started from worst, and we're going to end up going to first. We, we did the Sixers first, so I got that out of the way, which was nice. Now we're going to do the Lakers, because they had the uh, number two pick in the draft. We have a couple uh, couple guys here, Mike, you can introduce from uh, from Silver Screen and Roll, our, our Lakers website. You can uh, give them their proper introduction as you go a little further back, and we'll get right into uh, kind of what the Lakers have done this offseason and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. We are thrilled to be joined by Harrison Fagan. He is the Associate Editor-in-Chief of Silver Screen and Roll. Also joined by Anthony Irwin, a Silver Screen and Roll contributor. You also may know them because they have their own podcast, the Locked on Lakers podcast. And we're thrilled to have them on to talk about what was a very interesting summer with the Lakers. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I can't can't complain. It, it definitely has been an interesting summer. It's finally kind of slowed down a little bit. It, it seemed like we were getting just tons of news, and there was interesting stuff to talk about around this team with, with like all summer so far. And that hasn't been the case, you know, the last couple of years, or at least not stuff that's as fun to talk about. Right. It, it, with with the Lakers, they're always going to be interesting in in any free agency period because all of these free agents use them as leverage, you know, to, to get more money. So there's always going to be plenty to talk about with the Lakers. Nice, nice. Well, why don't we just get right to it, guys? I mean, you had the, the number two pick in the draft, took Ingram, signed Mozgov, Luel Dang. You know, nice pieces to a, to a team who wants to contend, and a few other smaller moves. Uh, you know, Anthony, I'll let you take the floor first. Why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you think about Ingram so far uh, as you've seen him in Summer League and kind of how he's been fitting in with the Lakers culture uh, with high expectations uh, as a number two pick going to Los Angeles. Right, so with Ingram, he, he fits exactly what the Lakers needed heading into the offseason, right? I mean, they wound up signing Luwaldang anyway, but I don't think anybody really planned on that. <laughs> but, with, but with Brandon Ingram, you know, they could have taken Simmons. Like, had Simmons fallen to them, you know, had Philly taken Ingram first and Simmons fell to them, they would have had to do some finagling to make the rotations work because Randall and Simmons, there's some overlap there. And then mm-hmm. Nance by extension. But with Ingram, if he plays well, if he slides into his natural uh, position, it just works. It just works automatically. You know, he'll be able to, he'll probably be the first guy off the bench to start mm-hmm. the year. And then you just make it work from there. Well, and Anthony, I think that that's something that we talked about on our podcast last night that is kind of an interesting talking point is, is Ingram going to come off the bench? Because you'd kind of think, you know, second overall pick, this is a guy that they want to come in and start and play as many minutes right away as he can. But then they went and signed Luol Dang to come in and play the wing as well. Although I, I think, you know, we, it's been discussed before, Luol Dang is kind of better as a power forward at this point in small ball lineups, but he's going to play some on the wing. And so how, how they kind of divvy up the minutes there is going to be really interesting. But Anthony, I thought you hit it right on the head. I mean, Ingram is the exact type of shooting and defense kind of combination that the Lakers needed on the wing. And, you know, he's not going to be that this year, but just moving forward, he projects as a perfect fit alongside the rest of this young core. He shouldn't start. He's too skinny. He's too young. I mean, you could see it in summer league. He he bookended. He had a great first game and a great last game. And in between, he sort of looked like a boy playing among men. He looks like he's on the JV team. I'm of the opinion, though, that 
Simmons will be a better player than Ingram. Uh, we have talked about this a lot on this show. I think the Lakers got lucky. I don't think it's going to happen right away. Well, you think Ingram will be better than Simmons? I do, yes, in the you, end. You said Simmons mm-hmm. will be better than Ingram, but I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. We've had this argument. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew what you meant, even in, in the mistake there. Go well, ahead, this way ahead. I can't be wrong. I said one thing, and I said both things. Uh, but I just, I just think that the thing I keep coming back to is he's 14 months younger than Simmons. 14. They're in the same class. They were the same year in college, but there's a big difference. And you look at the upside of what he could be, his frame, he can add a lot of weight to that frame. He's got great skills. He has really good sound of this one swing-through move. He can shoot over the top. He can pass. He can handle. He can swing up to four. I mean, you talk about what position he is. Right now, you know, it's sort of funny. There, He's not Kevin Durant, obviously. He's not that good. But there is sort of this similarity of like, well, right now you sort of have to play him as a 2-3. But eventually kind of – I mean, Durant's a 3, but eventually Ingram could be a 4. And you just have to find the right coach to kind of flow into that. I don't think he's ready yet. I think he's going to come off the bench. He's going to play with Dang on the wing and all that. But long term, I see so much upside with him. And I think – the upside, you know, with him and Simmons, he is so much more, in my opinion. And I really? think, I really think so. I I think Simmons is going to be a really good player too. But I just think, I'm not saying Simmons right now is like way, I think, way ahead of Ingram. But I think in a couple of years, I'm not sure he will be. I don't want to take away from from the Ingram conversation by interjecting Simmons in our <laughs> ongoing. In our it's, ongoing it's impossible not to, though. Like in fairness, it's, it's impossible not to. It's true, just with the whole dynamic of one and two, and, and playing similar positions, but uh, and obviously being pivotal decisions for both franchises. Um, I, I'll say this: if I think a lot of us see Simmons because he he does play with kind of a heightened maturity on the court and ha- and a larger physicality in terms of his body build and, and being a little bit more filled in, and think that like somehow that makes him closer to his ceiling as opposed to just more advanced at this point. Um, and I think that's kind of the difference as I see it. Simmons looks far more NBA ready right now. Like we, I think we could all agree. I don't want to discredit what Ingram can become because I think it really will depend on a couple things: how hard he works, how his body takes muscle. I mean, sometimes that's just guys' body builds. He need, he'll be more explosive just as he gets older and gets like grown man muscle. I feel like he's he redeclared his senior year of high or his junior year of high school to the senior class, and that was why he's now you know a year younger than a lot of these other rookies. But he's a uh, he's a really interesting body build, and I always I always think that those are the players who truly have the easiest path to greatness because there hasn't been a piece of the game fulfilled by someone like that from a physical stance. Uh, you know, he's a little bit longer than most people who have ever played every position from the two, three, and four. Um, so I, I kind of like the way he fits in to, to what potentially what the Lakers are doing with a lot of these pieces to kind of come in and fill the void now. What do you think about um, the Mozgov signing, though, as a... Uh, <clears throat> As something that took a lot of heat in the NBA world, uh, Harrison, I know that you probably had a few hot takes on that when it happened. So, I, I, well, how does that fit in with the grand scheme of the Lakers? So, was this like the butter us up by like talk about the exciting <laughs> number two overall <laughs> pick and then talk about the worst contract handed out this uh, summer? Uh, I mean, I I am kind of of the mind that if Mozgov can approximate the player that he was two years ago, the contract won't look as bad, but I still think it's bad. They definitely overpaid. You can't argue about that. But I think Anthony should actually jump in here because he's the one with kind of the hotter Mozgov takes than I have. (laughs) 
So my my thing with the Mozgov thing is that like <laughs> the, the 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 conversation on Twitter became well, it's not that bad, right? It's not, it could be it could actually work out, but if that's the number one priority, as it seemed like it was for the Lakers, was there, that was their twelve oh one a.m. call <laughs> to Timothy Mozgov to hand out sixty four million dollars. You can't help but wonder, it's like what what what's going on here, and then. You see Festus Azelian, yes, his his knee might actually be paper mache, but he goes for seven, what was it? It, it was under $10 million, right? And I'd much rather gamble, make that gamble on Azeli than, than hand out Timothy Moskov, who has knee problems of his own. Oh, yeah, and he's 29 already. <laughs> I mean, the thing that... Oh, this I've, just gets worse all the time. <laughs> the thing that confused me is that, okay, let's say just for the sake of argument that you wanted an experienced center with high minute like high minute experience in that age realm and you're okay with like maybe some health issues why didn't you just sign Yamahimi instead mm-hmm. why didn't you why did you go for Mozgov in uh, first <laughs> right first away call. yeah and 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 then you kinda... was... go ahead i i was just going to say i thought that the woge bomb was a mistake i thought that was like a scheduled <laughs> tweet for like the next day <laughs> oh man uh, it's also it's just <laughs> The center market was, at the end of the day, like, everybody rushed to sort of some of the top options. And then now there's still some quality centers that were available. I mean, Tyler Zeller kind of hung around the market until signed an $8 million a year contract. And it's four years. So I'm glad we're all in agreement. I mean, I guess the case for Mozgov would be you need some rim protection. This was a horrible defense last year, as you all know. Uh Roy Mozgov is a little more mobile than Roy Hibbert, uh, and like, I'm just trying to state the case here. And you're the Lakers. A little more mobile than Roy Hibbert is like the <laughs> most insulting thing you can say about someone. Yeah. Well, that's that's what it became. Like it, the the defense of it was, well, he'll be better than Roy Hibbert. Roy Hibbert was literally the worst center I've ever watched in my life. And it's oh, like, wow. well, you know, we got the second to worst center. Like, way to go, guys! <laughs> in like 60 years, we'll have a decent center. <laughs> upgrades just small <laughs> incremental upgrades this is this is called the curse of uh, getting Shaq for his prime right there <laughs> yeah for real though what uh, what's the optimism case here like what's the best case scenario i guess we can either one of y'all can answer like what so it's happened this is the signing and we've come to terms with it like what how could this possibly work well for the lakers is there a path well, I guess I'll take this to start because I am the one who's who's jumped off into hot take zone with us. But if I were to if I were to say best case scenario with Mozgov is he recaptures eighty percent of what he was two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And over the next two seasons, he he provides that while hopefully the Lakers either groom somebody who can slide into that position in, in three years or so. Maybe the cap will have jumped enough to where, you know, the the sixteen or seventeen or eighteen million dollars that because of I don't know how exactly the the deal is structured. Maybe it turns out that the cap hit at that point where his contract is getting ready to come off the books doesn't hurt as bad. Uh, and and at the end of the day, the Lakers needed some kind of veteran presence there. And say what you will about whatever role he played in the NBA Finals, he was at least there. He knows what it takes to get to the get to the finals, the practices and all that and and uh what kind of work ethic it takes. I'm honestly just trying to talk myself into it yeah. right now. I don't I mean, know if you could tell. You just gave a participation award to Timothy Mozgov. <laughs> 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 I, 
I mean, it was only a year ago when he was the key to Cleveland's sort of late season run. You know, I mean, last year he did have knee surgery and that did throw thrown back. I'm not saying that he's going to be what he was two years ago, but it may be possible that last year was sort of the worst you'll see. I mean, that still begs the question, though. Why are you offering that contract on the first day of free agency? Now, by contrast, first minute, yeah, well, first minutes, I guess, first hour, is that fair? Um, Now, that wasn't the other big. The other big deal. I'm curious, Harrison. Let's start with you with this. Is Luol Deng for four years and seventy two million? Which, look, that's a lot of money. And Deng is. Uh, I, let's see how old Deng is. He is. He is also sort of in the twilight of his prime. But this one, it seems like hey, there's more of a defense for it, right? Yeah, this one's been a bit more well received, and I think that there definitely is a much easier case to make than like let's think of everything that could go right for Timofey Mozgov, as Anthony kind of had to do, unfortunately. <laughs> but so with Luol Deng, I think the like major pluses are he brings that veteran experience. He's kind of a universally well regarded locker room guy, so that's number one after how bad the locker room kind of got last year. And then I think. Like on the court, he allows you to kind of not throw Brandon Ingram to the wolves immediately and force him to defend the best perimeter guys on the opposing team right off the bat because you can kind of have Dang do that. And he's not what he was a couple years ago when he was doing it for the Bulls, but he's still kind of he's better than anyone the Lakers have had over the last several years. That's for sure on the wing. Right. And and I guess I'll I'll float this question to you after after this, but but Dang is also six nine. Uh, Brandon Ingram is six nine. There's a direct mentorship kind of program that 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 Ingram is just mm-hmm. immediately slid into here, and that's and that's going to be beneficial to to Ingram's uh, development in ways that the Lakers haven't had that for D'Angelo Russell or Jordan Clarkson. Um, ben, you you have Deng, who's been in the Eastern Conference all this time. He mm-hmm. you've probably spent more time watching him than Harrison and I have. Mm-hmm. Is what we're saying making any kind of sense there? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, absolutely. And that, it's funny. I actually got to, to see him play in high school a few times. He was at Blair Academy in New Jersey uh, mm-hmm. when I was, you know, when I was actually younger and in high school as well in, in Pennsylvania. But he, uh, he could really play. He actually played with Charlie Villanueva, I believe, on the same high school team. So you can imagine they were probably pretty solid. Um, <laughs> Just killing people. Um, but uh, anyhow, so, yeah, no, I've always thought Dang was a good player. I thought he was a key piece of Miami becoming a, a dangerous team last year. He was a big piece of uh, the Bulls were good for a long time. It seems like winning kind of follows him. Um, he has a large part to do with that. And I also think you're right about the mentorship thing. That's a great point. I mean, setting up young guys to succeed, the right surroundings, um, you know, the right network, if you will, that was a huge piece of what allowed Kobe to succeed in L.A. Uh, mm-hmm. If they want to grow these guys properly, um, they're going to have to to obviously put the right pieces around them. It can't just be like, and the Sixers have learned the same thing. They brought in Elton Brand again last year. You know, they had Landry. You have to put guys around who just say no, don't. You can't do that. Or, <laughs> That's not what you do after a game, before the game, whatever it may be. No, Jalil Okafor. You cannot punch civilians at the bar in Boston. God, don't even do that in Philadelphia, but definitely not Boston. I'm but, just I'm just imagining like kind of coming through a, a portal, and as soon as like, Okafor is about to punch him, just like stopping him, yeah, just, just standing there. No. That's a little that can do. Well, so here's I'm something. picturing Okafor just sitting there listening to that, being like, "Oh, that's a good <laughs> point. I shouldn't punch people outside yeah. of bars." Thanks, Elton. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. Elton just wags his finger. I can see it stone faced. He's got a good deadpan. Yeah. Some prop. Some worries I have. Dang's already. He's going to cross the thirty thousand minute threshold this year. All things considered, you know he's thirty one, but he's played a lot of minutes. That's only regular season. He's you add in another twenty five hundred playoff minutes. Uh, you know he's an old thirty one. I mean. His game has aged fairly well. I thought he was really good for Miami and swinging up to the four really kind of enabled them to get the space and pace they needed to move, to push. And certainly going back to the discussion about Brandon Ingram, I don't think Brandon Ingram is ready to play right now. And so you should – Dang will probably start, and you can swing him up to the four, and that is all true. It's just a lot – I think it's sort of the Lakers tax a little bit on this one, and that's sort of a weird thing to say because we don't ever say this about the Lakers and free agency, but, you know, they're not a good team anymore, and so you have to pay a premium for players like this. You know, you have to really make it Luol Deng's worthwhile to be here, and I think that makes a lot of sense in a macro sense. I just worry that's a lot of money for someone who is – you know, on his certainly is in the twilight of his prime. I worry about all those minutes he's played, and I also worry about the length of the deal. I mean, four years that is going to hurt you in free agency the next couple of years. And Luol Deng is a consummate professional, and I think you, I agree that there is sort of a great little mentorship thing going on behind the scenes. But I'm not sure he's like this commandeering locker room presence. If he was, the 2014 Cavs would have been you know, less of a disaster after he arrived. And so that's not to say that there's something wrong with Luol Deng. It's just that it's really hard. If you're signing him thinking like he's going to really totally 180 degree the culture, I think that's asking a lot is all I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not I don't think anybody's asking. Yeah, I, I, he's not going to step in and, and he's going to, you know, I don't, I honestly, I think the whole culture thing with the Lakers is a little overblown. I don't, I don't know if they necessarily need to turn it full circle i just think they need to fire nick young into the sun and and that metaphorically (laughs) metaphorically yeah (laughs) you know no i'm just kidding but but, uh, if you you told him he could he might try (laughs) he he tweet about it on his way up there too can you believe what these guys did to me but uh in the in that fourth year of both Dang and Mozgov's contracts, they're going to combine for more than 35, almost $36 million between the two of them. And that's not what you want, right? And, and you know, like you, like you said, Mike, you know, saying that you're basically paying Dang to say, I'm not going to compete for a championship for the entirety of this contract because I don't think the Lakers are, are unless they, unless, you know, like Russell Westbrook decides to come here and everybody takes giant leaps, they aren't going to be contending for a championship while he's there. And for a veteran like Dang, you're not going to get somebody to just say, all right, I'm fine competing, not competing for a, a championship and also taking a discount to do so. Yeah. No, I, I, but at the same time, these are the types of signings that happened. These are pretty, that's actually a good one in the grand scheme of this free agency class, right? I think it would be a kind of a hands down. If Mozgov might be in the worst, Dang's definitely at the higher end of probably good signings if you're just trying to put pieces on a team with lots of money to spend, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, it. Uh, that's kind of um, the long and short of those bigger signings. Are there any smaller moves, any of the draft picks? I want to make sure we get to a lot of other things here. Obviously, Russell and Randall, guys like that. But uh, as we get further on to the podcast... Um, any other signings uh, that we of note that you would like to touch on, either of you or other uh, um, draft picks that you would like to talk about? Uh, Harrison, if there's anything we, we kind of missed there, go for it. 
Uh, well, I think the one draft pick we have to talk about is the guy who took over Summer League. Uh, it was uh, Avica Zubats. And the Lakers took him with the 32nd overall pick. There was some talk that he would have went earlier if he had been willing to say that he was going to stay overseas. But he ended up, he wanted to come over, and then he ended up, it turns out he's a giant Lakers fan. He talked about on draft night that I think he said, Anthony, was it a, was it a Kobe, Gasol, and Bynum jersey that he said he had? <laughs> Bynum is definitely involved. <laughs> How does that work? Are you saying like three different jerseys or like one jersey split? No, I think, I think three different, although, I mean, maybe he stitched them all together. Maybe he's just like a super fan, and he just wanted all those players as well. He's enormous. Not. He can yeah, wear all three of them. He's got three mediums and made it one really long jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, but I, he ended up kind of shocking, I think, everyone at Summer League because there was a lot of talk that he was going to be a project. I think he's just 19. He, he's a kid. He still has braces. And he's, you know, he's coming in and he was like really effective his first game. And people were kind of like, OK, that was cool. But like, let's see if he keeps it up. And he kept it up for most of the Summer League. He has his flaws. I don't think that he's going to come in and uh, play a ton of minutes this year. But he was helpful in Summer League. His rim protection was, I think, like a lot further along than people thought it would be. His offensive game, same thing. It was more advanced than I think almost anyone projected other than maybe like international scout kind of guru guys. But certainly no one over here was talking about that he was going to look this good this quickly. Even Mitch Kupchak said that they were surprised by how well he played right off the bat. Right, and then and then I guess it's already kind of gone over <laughs> overlooked in the in the podcast. But Jordan Clarkson resigning was one of the better values of this of this free agency, and it was an absolutely critical thing that the Lakers needed to take care of because, like, for all the MacGyver esque you know utility that that Mitch Kupchak showed in somehow getting uh, Clarkson, you know, by buying the forty six overall pick. It's all for naught if they develop him and then he signs somewhere else. Right. Right. So uh, I don't know, Mike. You're you're the you're the Wizards fan on on a scale of one to ten when you've watched Jordan Clarkson play. Like, have you have you wanted to throw stuff at at the TV because he could have probably helped the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could have. Uh, we'll I'm, just I move on. Bigger run at him too. <laughs> we'll I just thought move he was on. Great to, as a young piece to add, but nonetheless, no, I thought that was a really good re-signing as well. I also think the Wizards, the uh, two and a half million or whatever they got, uh, has really gone to good use. So, you know, are you sure? I mean, I think we got the better of that trade. Uh, absolutely. Just uh, just to wrap up some other stuff, uh, just so we got everyone, uh, they re-signed Tark Black. I think it was two years and a little over twelve million. Played mm-hmm. pretty well for them center last year. They uh, traded for Jose Calderon to kind of help the Bulls, uh, or yes, the Bulls out to get Dwayne Wade. Uh, re-signed Marcelo Huertas uh, and. Or any and Sleepers and Calderon are going to be in the same locker room. That's going to be awesome. That'll be a, you guys should try to hang out with them. For yes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe that's all they did. Uh, the one one guy we have not discussed that to me I think is the real key to the Lakers' success now and in the future is D'Angelo Russell. And we all know the talent the guy has. He I thought he was one of the best players at summer league. I thought once he sort of started to find himself and Byron Scott finally played him, he showed some things at the end of the year. But there are also major questions maturity wise at especially with the whole Snapchat Nick Young saga, which, you know, there's so much there that I, I don't want to get into that too much. But I do think that the sum of it all does show that, you know, 
there is some growing up for the 20-year-old Russell to do, which a lot of 20-year-olds have to do, but I think it does feel like it's a little more pronounced in his case. How, what are, how are we feeling on that front? Like, Do we feel 100% confident that – I mean, I'll start with Harrison on this one. Do we feel 100% confident that Russell is the guy for the future to lead this team, uh, or is this still a question mark to you? I mean, I think it's like anytime you're coming off of a 17 win season, I think kind of everybody on the roster just about is like a question mark to a degree. But I I don't think that D'Angelo Russell was the problem last year. Now, I don't know how much he did to fix the problem. But uh, again, if you're counting on a 19 year old to come in and fix your problems, then kind of that is a bigger problem for the organization than like anything else. I I think he has the highest ceiling of any member of this Lakers young core. I was really impressed again by him at Summer League. He's making strides as a play like his his passing ability is unreal. He he doesn't make as many plays like he's not a high assist guy. He's not as high of an assist guy as like you would expect based off of how good his passing is. But he's already kind of shown he can score. He's going to be an elite scorer. And once kind of that distribution comes along, I I think he's going to be special. Yeah. And in terms of maturity, I think it's like I said, I I think. With any 17-win team, all of these things are going to be not overblown, but but it's going to get, especially with the Lakers, it's going to be a magnifying glass on any of it, right? So the issue with the, the, the maturity stuff is that anytime the Lakers play nationally, and they play nationally a lot. Although less this year. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like for, for any 17 win, 17 win team, like they wouldn't, they shouldn't be on national TV. Right. And no. anytime, anytime they were on national TV that, you know, they have these production meetings in which Byron talks to the, to, you know, whether it's on TNT or ESPN, whatever. And he, and he, you know, is in charge of this narrative that's, that's about Russell. And for whatever reason, Byron just couldn't stand Russell from the get go. So if you have the head coach and the de facto face of the franchise in terms of public relations, if you have that guy out there talking about how immature Russell is, that's going to, you know, it's going to, that narrative is going to get legs that I don't think it, it necessarily should have. Because all throughout the summer, and even for parts of last year with younger, you know, with other younger guys on the court, Russell is a pretty vocal guy. You know, whether it's getting guys in the right spot on the court, whether it's walking back to timeouts, talking to Clarkson about different looks. But I, I think with, with Russell this year, I, I can't, I, I'm looking forward to going from, you know, the narrative that Byron threw out there in, you know, with media to guys like Luke Walton and Jesse Mermies, who <laughs> Mermies sounded like a super fan throughout the summer. And, and you already started to see some of the, the story about Russell kind of flip on its head a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, and then not only did you have Byron Scott saying those things in those production meetings, it was just about after every game. And then you kind of see the shift has already started to happen in that, like, today, Luke Walton, I I think he did, I think the interview was recorded during Summer League, but an interview that he did with Shaq on Shaq's podcast came out today. And he was talking about, when they asked him who the leader of this Lakers team is, he says, you know, obviously he's young, but I think that guy's going to be D'Angelo Russell. I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him around summer league and those types of things and so i think that kind of the issue of him being like this locker room problem might have been a little bit overblown although he obviously with the snapchat you know leaked video whatever thing did cause a large problem but i just mean in terms of consistently being an issue throughout the year i I don't know that that was necessarily the case 
Yeah, I think there's too much emphasis on when a teenager makes a mistake on social media. If you're going to boil it down to the common, the most common denominator of it all, in my opinion, there's a professional athletic standpoint to it of being very wealthy and under the magnoscope of the types of people who are by extension hanging out with you. Like, uh, Iggy Azalea isn't in the room with him at that moment, but by extension, her, you know, fame is, and that's probably something you have more self-awareness of. Um, that to his, is to his discredit, in my opinion. But other than that, man, I, that's like kind of like a stupid kid mistake that someone else just makes in college. It's mm-hmm. a bunch of yeah. people that don't matter, you know? Right. And, and, and can we and, figure and, out why Nick Young was D'Angelo Russell's veteran mentor? Like, this guy's right? supposed to be the the face of the franchise going forward, and he's rooming with Nick Young on the road? That seems a little bizarre. That, that's probably the bigger issue. Yeah. I mean, that that's true. To play devil's advocate, because uh, I think you guys all raise good points, and the kid, the kid is young. Sometimes when these things come out and there is such a backlash, it often is, I would say, because there's just some other stuff that you can't really maybe report on but just sort of it sort of like influences what you say in other words there's sort of there there may be sort of the stuff behind the curtain and i'm not suggesting that there is i I don't know i'm just saying that this sometimes happens and while the the blowback is about like so for example with lou williams it's literally disowning the guy and and on the surface that looks like you know just a totally ridiculous move for one mistake and even as one is damaging and silly as this but it also sometimes does convey that perhaps there's more going on than what meets the eye and i don't think the issue with russell it's so far as there may be an issue is that this is an irredeemable situation it's just that you know he's 20 going on 14 is sort of you know what you sort of hear and i i only i'd only say like ask the question because not to say that he's doomed at this point, but I'm going to be watching that closely because I think if you look at the long-term future of this franchise, it would be absolutely devastating, I think, to their hopes if he cannot sort of take the reins in a powerful point guard way. That's just how the whole team is set up. And you can mm-hmm. also get away with more at Ohio State than in the real world. So there's <laughs> probably more to whatever he did in college or how he was than met the eye, just mm-hmm. from a scouting standpoint. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. He, he's, he has to be that player, I think, at least as they're comprised right now. As uh, as Ingram is very young and, and far away, and probably has another part that he could lean on, though I think we should probably bring him up, uh, and that's Randall. Julius Randall seems like he's maturing quickly now, and that like every time that I get at least from a distance see him play, he looks better and better and better incrementally. So, what do you guys think about his potential this season? Kind of how he mixes as as maybe the one-two with Russell as as the scoring punch that leads the team uh, in that regard. Well, I, I guess the the conversation that came out of Summer League was, wow, look at how good Larry Nance is, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and, and I, I would actually say that uh, to a certain extent, Nance actually fits with that starting core mm. a little better than Randall does because Randall needs the ball so much to be effective, you know, yep. almost to his de- detriment where he became highly inefficient last year. Now, I don't know how much of that had to do with being asked to be an isolation player in his basically his rookie year, right? He played 14 sure. minutes in his actual rookie year. So, and and not only are you was he asked to play isolation in that situation, but with so little spacing because Byron's uh, offense was so antiquated that mm-hmm. he had so little space to actually work with that I don't know if anybody was really going to be very efficient in that role. But you, you watch Nance, and Nance Nance is pretty, you know. He's going to. He's a catch and shoot guy. He's a roll guy who can finish at the rim a little bit better than Randall can uh, because he elevates a little bit more. Uh, 
he can, he, he, can, he can get up there for sure. That, <laughs> athletically, that is that is not in question at all. <laughs> right. So I, I, but with Randall, I, I do think it's nice to have two power forwards who are so different because it helps with matchup. It helps with depth moving forward, where it isn't two of the exact same player vying for the same minutes. That's true. Yeah, and to your point, Anthony, last year, looking at these on-off stats, the Lakers were five points worse with Nantin, but they were uh, 13.3 points worse with an out. Meanwhile, they're 15 points worse, more than 15 points worse with Randall in, and only four points worse with an out. So when you talk about the fit, I mean, that really says a lot to me. And now you were critical. You, th- I-, I believe I saw that you said you thought Nance should have, or Randall should have played summer league, right? Yes, I I didn't get it. And you know, there was the the the, the retort was, well, he didn't want to get hurt, but I just say those five games in summer league, you know, yeah. there there are ways that you can avoid getting hurt. Just don't overtax yourself, don't play in long minutes. You know, I, I just for me it's a young team that needs as many minutes together as they can possibly get, right? So why not get him out there? And yes, he's a third year player, but not really. You know, he, he, his his rookie season was spent entirely on, off the court, so uh, yeah, it was it was it was too bad not to see him out there. And all it does is open the door for Nance to impress, right, Harrison? Yeah, I, and I agree with kind of the premise of what you're saying, but at the same time, I think it was unrealistic to expect him to play in summer league as a third year guy, especially with the Team USA stuff coming up. And so I, th- I think he was, you know, willing to use that stature and enjoy his offseason, whether or not that ended up being to his detriment, I think, uh, you know, is a matter of debate. But it's not like he was just sitting around either, I guess. Like we saw kind of videos of, uh, you know, his physique looks transformed. He kind of looked a little doughier before heading out of the season last year. And he, that's kind of how he's always carried himself. But there's like there's not a lot of uh, like. The, the pictures that we saw coming out of Team USA, he's kind of transformed himself. He looks a lot more muscular. He looked good with Team USA in the clips that we saw. And I think that going back to your point about Byron's offense kind of handicapping him just a little bit was, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of his possessions last year came at the elbow. You know, they, they would run a pick and roll. They would pass to Randall at the elbow. And then everybody would just kind of stand around while he did a couple jab fakes and then drove to the basket against three or four guys. And so I think that in Luke Walton's kind of more motion heavy system, I think there is an opportunity for him to look a lot better. Although I do acknowledge that there is, you know, there's also a possibility that Nance may end up being the better fit going forward with this young core, in which case I think you make Randall into kind of like a super sub off the bench. Well, so this is my fear with Randall, and I think you guys have hit on it some. And you do raise a good point that it should be a more a faster, freer-flowing offense that may give Randall more chances to attack in space under Luke Walton. But, I mean, to me, the fundamental concern is obvious. Randall has always been a skill warrior, a workout warrior, just someone that looks great in these exhibitions. But the bottom line is he's not a three-point shooter. He's not a rim protector. He, can't, he really still only goes one way and has only one really strong move. He's not really, at this point, a ball mover. And so you talk about like guys standing around and watching him. I mean, some of that is a symptom of the way Randall plays. He is just all straight-line drive, straight-line drive all the time. Meanwhile, he has very poor wingspan for his size, which is something that has been pointed out going back to his college days. So you can't necessarily play him at the five. He can't really protect the basket. And you compound that with the fact that now you have Luol Deng, who played great at the four last year. Long term, Brandon Ingram may be 
the kind of guy you want to play at the four. And so then it sort of gets to the point, and you add in Nance, like what the confusion is like, so where is Randall's place on this team in the long-term future? And I guess you guys would both think that it's too early to worry about these things, right? Yeah, yes and no. Yes and no, because I do think, you know, right now he does have some trade value coming off of a season where he averaged a double double as as it gets re, you know repeated ad nauseum out here with I think with, every with... single Lakers broadcast, right? <laughs> something, something like that. It was like in and out was getting free advertising. <laughs> yeah, Jay Billis says they're they're you know, Jay Billis of Win- Wingspan says that they're hitting the same point too much. But, but with 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 <laughs> Randall, I think with I think with Randall you know, like there's all this conversation about Russell Westbrook, right? And whether or not they should wait for free agency and all these things. And for the points you made, Mike, there there is plenty of depth already at that position, at the four spot. So if the Lakers really want to get involved with Russell Westbrook and they have the leverage of, well, we don't want to invest too much in a trade because we don't know if he's actually going to resign here. But if the Lakers do want to get involved there and they somehow find a way to shed Nick Young's salary, if they trade... Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson for Russell Westbrook and then agree to take on Ennis Cannon's salary, that actually works out. And if if that's something that they can make work, then you're you're more efficiently utilizing the, the spots on a roster. But that's all that's all speculation. Just not I mean, yeah, <clears throat> so of course it's speculation, but you had that really well laid out. It sounded believable to me. Oh, good. So we sound believable to you. That, yeah, that's a, that's rare. Usually wow, we don't. That? No, just like how, how quickly you had the pieces of the trade in the cap room. Obviously, you've gone over this before, I'm sure. Uh, you know, ad nauseum, as you said out there. That's one of the things, uh, Sixers fans, it's like when the uh, Okafor uh, and Celtics trades got going. We didn't even really have a comprehension of why they could or even how they could make a trade, at least with these two teams, with Oklahoma City and Los Angeles. It does kind of make uh, some logistical sense as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Now, um, speaking of things that are not believable it's still weird that kobe bryant is not going to be on the lakers next year absolutely <laughs> did you like that, that segue good yeah, segue that was, <laughs> that was well done <laughs> mike is it's, uh, it's actually believable we have a, co- a podcast like we've done this before <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't use a pun though mike that's usually how mike would uh get into the next segment you know kind of one of those uh but no that was well done mike i, I do want to get your guys thoughts on this because obviously when i lived out there in 2008 ish time period that was like the height of the renaissance of kobe mania uh and he was very much introducing the mamba thing and everything got a little out of control the low top sneakers indoor pictures with your sunglasses on with kids like kobe had reached uh, a level of stardom that i don't even know he he knew he was going to get to and now as i see the vacuum has occurred without kobe there you guys are talking about young players and free agency moves and and that is the future I want to get your thoughts on what the city feels like, number one, the fan base, if you could kind of encapsulate how they feel. And Harrison, I'll let you start off with that. Give me the fan base perspective of like, hey, this is life without Kobe. First summer, it it begins. So I think it was a little bittersweet because, like you said, it's really weird to be previewing a Lakers season and not be talking about Kobe. That's the, for me. I'm uh, I'm 25 years old. That's literally never happened for me as long as I've watched <laughs> basketball. That the Lakers aren't going to have Kobe in uniform to start a season, and so it it's weird. And I think that a lot of people, you know, they're sad to see kind of that presence and someone who was that big of a part of a franchise move on. But there's also a little bit of I think happiness and like optimism there because obviously he was so bad last year and it was just kind of sad at times to watch him play uh and 
so I think that also his moving on has allowed the organization to kind of move forward. They don't have to put forward this token like, oh, it's playoffs or bust always, or oh, it's always title or bust for us. I think this team could surprise some people. Like, they don't have to do that. Luke Walton was just talking today about how this team isn't going to be judged on wins and losses. And, like, for that to come out from the Lakers is that that's, I don't think that's ever been said for Kobe's entire tenure with the team. And so I think that that's going to be his exit, you know, as much as his experience might've helped those players playing alongside him last year, I think that his exit is almost going to benefit them more. Right. At the end of the day, if you're, if you're taking somebody off of an, off of a basketball team who had the highest usage rate on that team, and it was among the, it was among the top in the NBA, somehow even in his 20th year and he was one of the least efficient players in the NBA just in terms of the basketball it's going to be more fun to watch the Lakers without Kobe there and I can't wait for my mentions after I say that (laughs) (laughs) but but I but you know it's going to be weird it's you know obviously there are going to be random games like I I don't think it's really going to hit me on opening night so much as you know it'll be a random Wednesday in Milwaukee you know where Oh, that's right. Kobe hasn't played all year, and he isn't coming back at all. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's where it's really going to set in. But it, I can't help but be excited. You know, without change, progress is impossible, and and it's a pretty major change. And and honestly, the Lakers' outlook right now is is pretty exciting, all things considered. Yeah, and Mike, real quick, do you know what analogy I just thought of when he's when uh, Andrew said a rainy, you know, Wednesday in Milwaukee was? Does, didn't that sound like uh, EPL? Like, yeah, but can he do it on a rainy morning in Stoke? Rainy morning in Stoke. <laughs> Stoke is spending some money, by the way. Uh, I know they are. They they got Joe Allen, man. I wanted Swans to get him. He's a really good. Anyhow, Welsh player. Enough, um, enough soccer talk. Enough. Sorry, I didn't even. I didn't even mean that. We could get rid of that. Um, anyhow, but uh, no, go ahead, Mike. I, I I cut you off there. I know. I was just gonna say. You know, that's funny. I agree that there's sort of the cloud of Kobe's retirement is sort of off them, and they can just kind of move forward. And on the surface, this looks like to be a very interesting young team. The one monkey wrench, though, is the Jim Bus guarantee whole situation, and. You know, we'll see how that goes. I'll just just be ominously saying that. I mean, that that's the big question with this franchise. But let's move on real quick. We got a number of questions uh, that were asked of our our panel here. Uh, you can always send us questions for the podcast on uh, Twitter at limited underscore upside. You can also tweet at me at Mike Prada SBN or email me at Mike Prada at SBNation.com. Prada spelled like the Italian company. Uh, first, I want to give a shout out to our man Xavier Zavala. I believe, I hope I pronounced that correctly. We got a bunch of questions here, some of which we have answered or attempted to answer, including why didn't they wait to offer such a monster contract to Mozgov? I don't know. We've established that. Your guess is as good as ours. <laughs> why did they jump to other big man more according to their timeline? Again, Good question. Uh, the last one, we sort of hit at this, but I, I want to kind of pitch this and start with uh, with Anthony. Are they? Do you think the Lakers are happy with Randall and Russell based on where they picked them and value-wise in these last two drafts? Yes. I Short answer, yes. Now, you can always go back and nitpick drafts, you know, whether or not guys that were taken after. Like, Porzingis jumps off the, jumps mm-hmm. off the board, right, who the, the Lakers hypothetically could have chosen. But... Like, I just think at the spot that the Lakers were in right there, going with a, a complete unknown that nobody had ever heard of, if that pick doesn't work out, then 
there are riots outside of Staples Center all season long. I right? can't believe and, the Knicks did that, by the way. It's the right. most unnixy thing in the whole world to, to be the team that takes Porzingis. Such and, a good move. And you saw and you saw the response to it too. And yep. and honestly, that's yep. it's the it's the lone thing that people can point to with Phil Jackson's tenure that says, like, okay, maybe he's not awful at this job. Mm-hmm. But but with with the Lakers, with the guys that they have, I mean Russell still looks to me, even with you know, even after having gone through the ups and downs of a pretty uh, tumultuous rookie season, Russell still looks to be among the the best five rookies of that class. And for everything that we've talked about with Randall, I think there is a role for him in the NBA. It's just a matter of whether or not the Lakers can carve that out on their own roster or if another NBA team is willing to trade for him because they think so too. But I think both guys have enough upside that the Lakers aren't necessarily kicking themselves for how the last drafts have gone. All right, this one, Chris Axman. Uh, this one is specifically for Harrison, so Harrison will enter this. Um, he has a couple <laughs> questions. Uh, perks of Ingram at shooting guard. I haven't heard that one before. What Position-wise, where do you think Ingram's going to play most this year? We sort of talked about it, but just real quick, what, if you had to put money on a certain spot, like where do you think he's going to play most? So I actually wouldn't rule out him playing quite a bit of minutes at shooting guard just because he's so skinny. And I think that also that would allow the Lakers to move Clarkson to the bench where I think that he can really thrive. And Anthony and I have been over this before, but I think that the argument for that is is that, uh, you know, you bring Ingram into the starting lineup, he can start, he can play a more supplementary role where he's not asked to do as much. He still has Luol Dang there at the three to defend kind of the best opposing wing, whoever that may be. And then you bring Clarkson in off the bench, and you can almost utilize him better too because you can make him the fulcrum of kind of that bench unit and just let him feast on backups and really push pace with kind of the more athletic reserves of like Larry Nance Jr. and Tarek Black and just throw lobs all over the place and just run 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 because Clarkson doesn't really like to slow down so I do think that there is kind of an argument to be made for starting Ingram at shooting guard huh that is interesting I definitely do not think that's what I would do but uh you make an interesting <laughs> point uh, <laughs> no, you, you make the case very well I I it doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with it but that's an interesting pace where do you think he's going to play the most minutes? Uh, probably the three. I, I think it's still the three. I just think that there's a case to be made for him playing at the two at times. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, Ben, I'll just ask you this one. This is from Basketball Talk. Uh, better long-term, D'Angelo Russell or Devin Booker? Ooh, uh, Devin Booker, only for the sake of I think he might end up being one of the, if not the best shooter in the league, a top two, three guy with, with Curry and Clay. I think he might already my head kind of be there. He's just got the most pure, silky stroke, and it seems like the game's so effortless for him. He's super young. He did play summer league as a teammate for Ulysses and to be a good guy and kind of build the core. So in that regard, at least from a personal standpoint, he seems like a pretty stand-up guy. I think Booker probably has the mental component over Russell at this moment, too. I will say that a ceiling for a point guard in my head is always a little higher than a ceiling for a shooting guard, just in terms of impact on a particular team, unless the shooting guard is... Michael Jordan, I guess, but um, or, you know, or Dwayne Wade per se on a special team. But yeah, I always, I always kind of lean to the point guard position. But in this case, I just think Booker's one of those kind of like pure raw, raw talents that you really don't see people shoot like him ever. We're just kind of spoiled. There happen to be a lot of them or a few of them simultaneously now in the league. Yeah, I agree. I think Booker will be better. Uh, Harrison, this is for you uh, because also, actually, I'm curious about this. Who is the defensive assistant on Luke Walton's staff, and just what are some of these assistants that he has and what are they going to do? This is from uh, 
Giuseppe Critelli, and I probably botched that terribly. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I saw this question come in, and it made me think, you know, this isn't something that they've outlined a whole lot. Because they, they're, the assistant staff right now is Brian Shaw, Jesse Merm. Mermies, Mermus, I'm not I'm still not sure how you pronounce his last name. Uh Mark Madsen, uh Judd Buchler, and Theo Robertson. And Judd so, Bushler. Bushler, come on. Judd Bushler, man. I'm not good with names. Come on, man. <laughs> He's a legend on the on the ninety six Bulls. Yeah, NBA champion. I was five. <laughs> it's true. And it's one true. of like five Judds. Like how many Judds do you have to memorize? It's true. That that is the one as of right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh my bad on that one, but so the the that's the assistant coaching staff right now and out of those guys, none of them kind of jump out as specifically being a defensive minded guy. Uh, I think the main one that you would maybe look at is Theo Robertson who was kind of a tape like film room guy with Golden State for a while and so i mean maybe he brings that experience and he's kind of the primary defensive scouting guy but i don't think that brian shaw is considered a defensive specialist or anything like he's the big assistant that they brought in but i think he's more of an offensive minded guy right and i also think that i think they have another spot or two on their staff as well that they're looking to fill out uh i think they have at least one and and that's the role that they're looking to fill above all others all right, well, those are all the questions I have. Uh, I'm actually kind of optimistic about this Lakers team. I think they might be a little better than people think. Um, but Well, uh, they better be because they don't have their first-round draft pick if it's in the uh, outside of that top three next year because it's coming over to the East Coast where the DNC is currently. <laughs> oh, it's going to Cleveland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the RNC. But, Mike, that's okay. Oh, man. Mike, Mike is singularly a basketball guy and soccer guy. So. Yeah, uh, that joke kind of flew over everybody's head. I guess I don't no, know what I the joke it. was. I'm just saying. It. I'm just saying that to kind of get out of it. Uh, <laughs> man, I know, I know, I know. But it's okay. We uh, anyhow. I do. I kind of talked myself into the Lakers a little bit more throughout the course of this as well. I got to be honest, guys. A better, younger core with kind of interesting pieces of large, long guys. I mean, look, we we poo pooed on Randall pretty well, but he still is. I think Anthony kind of put a little bit on that, but. Uh, He's still a pretty dynamic player. Like he's pretty young. He has a, a particular aggression going to the basket. If the game might rotate back to players like him at some point, just as a reflex in terms of it's obviously a space and three point shooting game at the moment. But trends have a way of coming in circles in this league. So we'll see if maybe uh, the league comes and finds him at some point. I always kind yeah, of find that, that interesting. I'm a little higher on him than Anthony is, and if mm. his playmaking can start to come around a little bit more, like it did towards the end of last season, yeah. then he's going to be kind of a much better player than I think most people are projecting him to be right now. Nice. Yeah, I, I, my thing with Randall is he he's almost the the guy. The, the numbers versus it's funny. Kobe was the last one, and then now the Lakers have another one here, where it's the numbers versus eye test kind of guy where. Randall will make plays that your eyes will tell you, holy cow, there has to be somewhere for this this guy in the league. But the numbers will also jump off at the, the computer screen at you and say, holy cow, what is this guy doing on a basketball court in terms of, of efficiency? Right. So that's that it, the conversation about Randall is always going to be pretty divisive, especially out here among fans, because it's mm-hmm. so obvious one way or another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, cool, guys. This was uh. Look, we we have had a lot of fun doing podcasts with guys who have from you know all the different websites via SB Nation here. 
I really, really enjoyed having you guys on because there's a tightness to the way you guys talk about basketball that you could tell. And I know that because you have your own podcast. I want to give you guys a second here to plug both your site and your podcast as we kind of end here, and then we'll just wrap it up and I'll put a bow on it. So, Harrison, tell people about why they should be uh, going to Silver Screen and Roll uh, and, and plug yourself for a moment. Uh, well, I, I guess this is tooting my own horn a little bit, but I think people should go to Silver Screen and Roll because I honestly kill myself every single day <laughs> trying to write about every little story they might care about regarding the Lakers and put that up on a site somewhere so that they can find it all in one place instead of having to comb through Twitter and look around kind of more. I, I try to make it the one-stop shop for everything Lakers. We have a really strong editorial team, I think. Uh, Anthony is included there and i think you know i'm i'm just gonna say it i think anthony and i have the best lakers blogger podcast on the internet right now (laughs) except for this episode (laughs) yeah well hey we're giving people a free preview but they can come find our other show also for free at locked on lakers this is this is the episode like so you know how all the top ratings now cable ratings are sort of uh sporting events this is like the one that's not a sporting event that's slipped in there other and your podcast is all the other sporting events. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, I guess, regarding regarding the podcast, like if we had to toot our own honor or whatever with, with that, Harrison and I have been doing this for three years. And over those three years, somehow Harrison and I haven't wanted to fight each other every time we see each other. So developing a rapport and, and being able to talk back and forth, and, and it's generally, uh, we find interesting ways to talk about it. We try to keep it kind of light. Uh, which has been kind of tough to do with with the Lakers over the last few years, <laughs> to be frank. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun, and, and thanks guys for having us. This was a blast. Yeah, absolutely, man. This is great. No, absolutely, really, truly appreciate both you coming on here, looking uh, at getting some people from the West Coast to join people on the East Coast uh, for on a Skype date, if you will. Here, it's never easy, so we always appreciate you accommodating with uh, the middle of your days. You're obsessed with this East Coast West Coast thing, like the we're all one country. Yeah, the three-hour time difference, so Mike, the middle of the day, man. I, I guess I it's true. It. I believe Anthony, you were saying you're going to get groceries after this. So, <laughs> oh yeah, with with no AC and 98 degree weather, <laughs> this is going to be awesome. These <laughs> eggs are going to be. Great. There. Well, uh, look, guys, uh, really appreciate it. Find uh, find Mike and I here. This is uh, you know on Twitter at limited underscore upside. You can uh, subscribe to us, rate us, review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Obviously, we appreciate the rating and reviewing. That helps us get bumped up in the ratings. More people can find us, spread the gospel. Again, as always, we really appreciate the uh, two guests today, Anthony and Harrison. Uh, look for them on Silver Screen and Roll. And uh, what was the name of the podcast again, guys? I'm sorry. One more time. Locked, Locked on Lakers. Lakers. And Locked if you tune Lakers. into the last episode, so the Monday episode, I'm not sure when this uh, is going to, this specific podcast is going to drop. I We do a Harrison's hot take segment, and I kind of riffed on why the Lakers should cut Brandon Ingram. So <laughs> and, uh, wow. you can check that out after, uh, you know, we said such nice things about him on yeah. here. Yeah, that, you, you make a very strong point. I, I think you, <laughs> you think you're right. Uh, that's what they should do. Uh, Mike loves doom and gloom. I, I do. Uh, that is what I'm used to as a fan, so uh, I want everybody else to have, experience it. Uh, just to be clear, we this is the second uh, of our off-season preview series, where we're kind of a review series where we're looking back at what teams have done. We did the 76ers uh, last week. Uh, later this week, you can look for the Nets, and then after that, we're probably looking at Phoenix and Minnesota. So we're going in kind of reverse order. So stay tuned with that. We are staying active during the off season. Uh, we also may have some Olympic talk for you. The Olympics begins uh, August sixth, uh, and there's some warm up matches. The, uh, the sort of looks like the Team USA Invitational, but we will see. So uh, 
your favorite team is coming up. So, and do send us some questions to ask where our uh, SB Nation community members uh, about their team. So they are the experts. They live and breathe this stuff every day. Uh, it sounds like it's sort of lethal in Harrison's case, but um, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that does not continue. Uh, but yes, you please uh, ask us these questions. We'll ask our com- our community members, uh, community writers, and uh, we'll look forward to the rest of those. All right. Awesome. Mike, good wrap up. Guys, until next time, Limited Upside Podcast. Mm-hmm.